Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. church family for being here and thanks for everyone who is uh, a part of this 21 day training. I, it's been neat to just the uh, do it together as well and just the momentum piece. I was sharing story or bumping into people this week and sharing stories and then I was picking up a pizza at uh, Frank's on Friday night and, and uh, conversation there around hey man how's your training going and so just uh, it's fun to get to, to, to do this together so thank you. And uh, a welcome to everybody. Thanks for being in the house. And those who are not in the house, I know a lot of people are taking off on spring break, but you may be tuning in right now. Just a, a welcome to you as well. And excited to dig into Acts 6 and 7 in our Reset series. And where we're going today is we are going to get to run a lap with a guy who is an all-in follower of Jesus. His name is Stephen. And as we watch him live and as we track with him, his, uh, the terrain of his life, is he's, it's a hill workout. It's ups and downs. But in doing, as we get to relive his life with him or a portion of his life, his life message uh, begins to emerge. And I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, I threw out that idea of, hey, do you, do you know what your life message is? Like if you had five minutes at the end of your life to share what matters most in life with those who matter most, how would you say that, or what would you nutshell your life message to be? And, and what we discover as we watch Stephen live is his life message begins to emerge, and you could sum it up with this word, resilience, resilience. That idea of, okay, in life, in the highs, we can be tempted to drift into complacency, self-reliance, mission drift, um, kind of a pace down in, in some apathy. And then in the lows, we can be tempted to, to become dragged down into the swamp of discouragement and despair, and we pace down. But, but how do we live through the highs and the lows of life with a resilience, being a faithful follower of Christ, a faithful witness for Christ? And what's neat about Stephen's life, as we'll, we'll overview it, is his life answers the question. Here's the, the summary, uh, we'll, we'll say big idea, or the, the structure of it. And uh, was that an amen? Come on, let's go. <laughs> um, it was this. Run with resilience by adopting a new perspective, a new expectation, and a new passion. And so we're going to, uh, we'll start in verses uh, one, chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. And these verses really set up the, the scene. This is where we meet Stephen. And it uh, gives us the backdrop of what's going on in church. This is one of the places Luke kind of sums up. This is what's going on in church at the moment, a summary picture. And so Luke chap or, uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 1 says, In those days, the number of disciples was increasing. So good thing, but the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So this is a bit of a, a challenge moment. I, one pastor says, Put, put an axiom with this that says, uh, explosive growth leads to dramatic meltdown. <laughs> and so they're having one of those as a church family. It's like, oh, baby, people are being overlooked. The Hellenistic Jews were those who had adopted the Greek style of life. 
And so they may have been feeling a little bit of like, hey, we're being overlooked based on who we are. We don't know that for sure, but it's a problem. So verse 2, the 12 gathered the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Good picture of keeping the main thing the main thing. We need to care for everybody, but we, we, we don't want to, they had been called to preach God's word. Got to keep doing that. So brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. You might circle the phrase, full of the Spirit. Be back to that. But he says, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Well, this proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So that's, there's that description again. They choose six others. They present them to the apostles. They pray over them. Verse 7, so the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, so he puts a spotlight in on, okay, who is this Stephen? He is a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So how do we run with resilience through the highs and lows of life? The first... Give you that we'll start with the perspective and we'll we'll map we'll watch this play out. But here's the, the new perspective. God is at work in the highs and the lows of life. As we watch Stephen's life play out, we hear his message. He'll be sharing a message that that uh, it's the longest uh, recorded message in the book of Acts. We see it in his message, we see it throughout all of Scripture. And why is this so important, this perspective? And here it is. The highs can, can intoxicate us into complacency. The lows can drag us into to despair. Both threaten our pace to be faithful as a witness, faithful as we follow Christ. But when we step back and we see this big picture, a new perspective, that, hey, life's going to have its highs and lows. It will. But the one thing that doesn't stop or the, the unchangeable reality is God is at work in the highs and in the lows. And so just tracking it for a, in a few, we won't be able to hit all the places, but there's a, a number in Stephen's story, or in this text. The first one is, right back to verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increase, increasing, well, that seems like a good thing, but actually, um, that, it leads to a, that's a high, hey, man, people are coming to Christ, but it leads to a what? A low. Uh-oh, we've got this logistics problem. People are complaining about not getting fed. Oh, no, this seems like a really bad thing. But is this truly a bad thing? Well, actually, it's not a bad thing in that it leads to leadership multiplication. And the church doesn't run from conflict. By the way, when conflicts happen, guys, that's the time as the body of Christ. We model the love of Christ, isn't it? We come together. We figure it out. And he draws us together in that, but also we solve the problem. And now you have, you've got seven gifted leaders who are doing ministry, and one of them is Stephen, and you get to verse 8, and it's like, this God is working through this guy. This is a good thing, isn't it? Well, maybe not. Look at verse 9. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the Sanhedrin, and uh uh-oh, this guy became high-profile leader. He's doing good things. He's got a target on his chest, and now here come some people to falsely accuse him, and we're going to find him standing trial, falsely accused. Quick story to just help us see what's going on in the highs and the lows. Help us see how 
easily it is our uh, circumstances can whiplash us and mess with our pace. And also, how limited our perspective is, is a, a parable that comes out of the Chinese culture. Maybe you've heard it, but it's about this farmer who had a really bad day. His prized horse jumped the fence and took off. His neighbor comes running over and he's filling the guy's pain and he says, I'm so sorry that your prized horse left. And the, the farmer said, well, thank you for sharing my pain, but let's wait and see. This may be a good thing. Sure enough, time passes. His prized horse comes back with a beautiful, strong, valuable stallion. To which his neighbor sees this horse trotting back and thinks, man, good fortune. He runs over to the neighbor again and says, oh, I'm so thankful that your horse is back in with the stallion. Congrats on your good fortune. To which the farmer said, thank you for sharing my joy, but let's wait and see. This may be a bad thing. Sure enough, the farmer's son, 18 years old, soccer prodigy, hoping to go to the Olympics, and uh, is out riding the stallion one day, and the stallion's so strong it tosses him off, he breaks his leg. The neighbor hears about this, and oh, a whole community's sad for this young man, and runs over, Olympic holds, hopes on hold, and he knocks at the door, this time he brings a meal, here's a meal for your family, I'm sorry, to which the farmer said, well, thank you for sharing my pain, but this may be a good thing. Sure enough, war breaks out not long after. Every able-bodied young man is drafted. When the soldiers come to their small town to take the men off, they bypass the farmer's son because of the broken leg. It's a good thing. This story could go on and on, right? <laughs> we'll just pause it right there. But the point of it is our perspective is so limited, isn't it? And it is so easy to hit the highs and think, oh, it's all good, and we, or complacency, or hit the lows and think, oh, but what a gift God in his word reminding us that in the highs and in the lows, I am at work. We see it in Stephen's life. He, he goes, as we pick up this story, he goes on and will stand a trial before the Sanhedrin. And there are two accusations that they have against him. One, he's, and they're false accusations, but he's against the law of Moses and against the temple. And verse 14 of chapter 6, we see this for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And so we're thinking, uh-oh, um, this is a bad thing. He, he's standing trial. Where's this going to go? But for Stephen, it's an opportunity, right? Could be a good thing as he, he goes to preaching. It's interesting that the message that he preaches, guess what text he picks? The entire Old Testament. So if you're looking for a cliff note version of the Old Testament, Stephen gives it to us in this, what, the message that's to come. And he starts sharing with these guys. He starts with, uh, we, we don't have time to, to hit it all, but we'll hit some high points. He starts with Abraham. They're in uh, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. He, uh, the priest asked him, Stephen, are these charges true? To which he replies, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. He said, leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land that I will show you. And he lays this foundation to which these guys are all nodding their heads. They're Jewish leaders. They, they know this story. He fast, fast forward to verse 8. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became father of Isaac and, the, the circumcised, and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of the 12 patriarchs. So there's the foundation. Now, he takes the spotlight and he goes to Joseph. And these guys have to be thinking, okay, Stephen, 
yeah, we agree with all this, but where are you going with your, your message here? We get a hint here in verse 9. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave, but God was with him. So you, you see the highs and lows, even in Joseph's life. But God's with him, rescues him from all his troubles, and he gave Joseph wisdom and, and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. And then he puts the spotlight from Joseph to, uh, and tells the story how they, Israel became slaves and now they need help. And God raises up Moses. And we don't have time to, to uh, read through the story, but he really, three parts of the story that he identifies. The first 40 years of Moses' life where Moses, God, you know, he, he becomes the son of Pharaoh's daughter and he is trained in Egypt. At age 40, he sees Israel being oppressed. He goes out to help, and they reject him. And um, so he goes into hiding. He's in the wilderness for 40 years, and it's neat how God gives him some wilderness training to get ready for the next 40 years, which is when God will meet him in the burning bush and say, hey, go back to Egypt and lead my people to freedom. But, but these guys are, all have to be asking, what's your point? Stephen, where are you going with this? And that's where we see it in verse 35. We'll fast forward to 35. This same Moses they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? And then verse 37, this is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. So even Moses is predicting Jesus is what Stephen's getting at. But then verse 39, but our ancestors refused to obey him, Moses. Instead, they rejected him and their hearts turned back to Egypt. So do you see where Stephen's going with this? God raises up a leader, and what, does, what do the people of God do? Reject him. And so, the, uh, and then he, so he's dealt with the law of Moses. Now he deals with the accusations of the temple and basically, the argument is this. He, he's like, guys, there was a long time in our history we didn't have a temple. We had the tabernacle, a tent that God gave us. And then when David asked to build a temple, God said no. And, and he said, Solomon will do it. So the point is, yes, the temple is a gift and it's important, but it's not as important as you guys are making it out to be. It was the point of his argument. He sums this up in verses uh, 50, 48 to 50. As he says, he's quoting Isaiah 66. He says, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is, is my throne and earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Has not my, my hand made all these things? So here comes the verdict. Stephen has uh, reviewed history. He's talked about the temple here comes his conclusion or, or where he's going with this message. Verse 51, he says this, You stiff-necked people or stubborn people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You might circle that phrase. We'll come back to it. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the, the coming of the righteous one, speaking of Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You, have received the law, you who have received the law that was given through angels but, but have not obeyed it. And so what's the core of his message? Cliff note version of the Old Testament, the, it's in this phrase, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Or to say it another way, every time God raises up a leader, 
to lead you, you miss it. You reject him. And you're doing it again in rejecting Jesus. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're listening to this play out, what are you thinking? Definitely a tension moment. Is this a good moment or a bad moment? Is this a high or a low? <laughs> well, based on watching what happened after Peter and John preached to the Sanhedrin, I'm thinking it's a high. You know, way to go, Stephen. And, and this is revival day, hopefully. I mean, it's hard truth, but it's what they need to hear. And, man, this could be mass revival. But is it a high? Well, not really. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They rushed him, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So there's young Saul who would, would one day be Paul. But Stephen's response is, is so powerful. His finish line moment says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Psalm 31, the same prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross as he gave up his spirit. And I think a great prayer to memorize for our own moment that we um, pass from this life to, to the next. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And there we see the heart of Christ, the same thing Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And don't you love that picture of death for the Christian? It's not the end. It's good night, I'll see you in the morning. And for us, it's resurrection morning. Well, it seems to be a, a bad moment. We read on chapter 8, Saul approved of, of their killing, and on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply. And it's a good reminder, when we're in our lows, those lows are real, and to mourn appropriately is, is healthy. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So at this moment of, of death, the church is scattered. You could say this is a really bad moment. Or is it? Acts chapter 8, verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. On one hand, it was a low, but on the other hand, guys, it was a high that resulted in us being here today knowing Christ. And the reality is God is at work in the lowest of lows, highest of highs, he's at work so that when our circumstances are here or here or both simultaneously, the call to us is, and Stephen's life message to us is, keep on, keep on, keep on. Run with, with resilience. There's a tendency to allow those circumstances of our life to whiplash us up, whiplash us down. But as a Christian, we've got the Word of God, the, the promise that He is at work, and we see it playing out in Stephen's life and throughout the early church. Never lose hope. Run on, run on. And so the first, uh, how do we live with resilience in the highs and lows? First, a new perspective. We, we know God's at work. 
high and low. Second is a new expectation. And if, if may I use a football uh, metaphor? Would you guys um, allow me to do this? It, it's, it's such a good picture. And it is this. When you carry the ball, expect to get hit. You carry the ball, expect to get hit. So in football, when you, the goal is to get the ball across the goal line. The ball is the treasure. So when you have the ball, what are you thinking? In fact, if uh, Rick Jones texted me after the first service. He said, if, if you're carrying the ball and nobody's hitting you, you're not in the game. That's <laughs> good. If you're carrying the ball and you're not getting hit, you're like, what's, you're surprised at that. But when you carry the ball, you know, here comes a hit. If you're the running back, it's, you're, you're ready to put a hit on, spin, move, but you keep your legs going. It's part of the game. If you're a, a receiver, you catch it, you're flying. If you're a punter and the ball goes over your head and you have to go run and pick it up, you're just praying for mercy. <laughs> but when you're carrying the ball, expect to get hit. So it is in life. What's the treasure of life? The most powerful force in the universe is this message of hope, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which can tr- transform any soul that will, re- will receive it by faith. When we take up the gospel and we, as ambassadors, we are faithful, we're entrusted with this treasure to pass it on to person to person, generation to generation. When we do this, what, what can we expect? Jesus said, this is not neutral ground. This is the enemy's territory. This is his world. This is Lucifer's place. The forces of darkness own this place, own this ground. We are an outpost of heaven. Our home is not here, it's there. But we are here for one purpose, ambassadors of another place, entrusted with a message of hope that can transform every soul, take them out of the dominion of darkness into the the dominion of freedom, the kingdom of light. I, I love the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Today is the day of salvation. And we have this good news that God is not counting our sins against us today. The doors of heaven are open and say, well, how can that be? And he sums it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us as he takes our sin to the cross so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we understand Jesus died for our sin on the cross and paid our sin debt in full and put our faith and trust in him, we're forgiven and and we step into an eternal relationship with God and into the kingdom of God. This is powerful. And when we commit to to be sharing this with those around us, expect resistance, expect a hit. You say, well, okay, John, why does this matter? Why, why Why is this important? When we get out and the evil day comes and we're taking some hits, The hits don't disorient us or discourage us or confuse us. We know it's part of it. It's the terrain. And not only do we not pace down in discouragement, in a way sometimes we pace up. When the hits are coming, we know, all right, it's game on. I must be making a difference. And so we're looking on the, we're making a spin move and we're keeping our legs going and we're faithful to to where he's called us to be faithful. There was a a day early on in, um, in, serving the Lord in church work and ministry that we were in Milwaukee at the time and I was having a taking some hits and having a bit of a poor me session and I was going to pick up our car at the local uh, auto mechanic and it was a super successful business that when I went in I often just watched it was fun to see how it worked and the owner was a guy named John and he, he would remind you of like a Bruce Willis look you know just tough brother and he's in there and he's on this day I'm, waiting and he's on the phone and he's 
running a couple of things, you know, guys are coming up to him, he's do, saying this, saying that, and it's busy, but the person on the phone was just tearing into him to the point, it's one of those, you could take the phone away and hear what they're saying, and so I'm watching and seeing, he's not reacting, and he's, you know, taking care of this customer and hangs up, he's taking care of the other, you know, issues, finally I get up to pay for the car, and I'm just like, man, how do you deal with the people like you deal with the people, and this is, this is impressive, and I kind of lob one up for him to join my pity party. And what he said was a message from heaven. And I, to this day, I, I still remember, um, <laughs> he said this. If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. I was like, yes, Lord, <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> what did Jesus promise for this life? Take up your cross and follow me. There's the expectation. The cross is an instrument of death. I love the way sometimes we need that, don't we? Just to call, hey, Hebrews 4, 12, 4 says, are you bleeding yet? Are you bleeding yet? It's part of it. But with that new expectation, yeah, there will be hits. Comes a resilience when the hits come. And then the third um, a new passion. The hits are coming, and, and most of us say, I don't really want the hit, and we, that's, that's healthy. We, we don't want to seek out the hits, but how do we get through the hits when they come is the question. I know some of us today are you're going through a season that's really hard, and what, what I'm about to share here, I think, is as I was thinking, praying, soaking in this text this week, just since this is the main thing that the Lord wants us to to receive from him or the burden of the text was here and it is such a precious truth and a comforting truth and encouraging truth and it marks Stephen's life from start to finish I think if he had to boil it down to one thing what's the secret of resilience in the highs and lows it would be this and it's a new passion and the passion is this that we would live spirit-led start to finish as Stephen shows up on the scene, did you notice what marks his life at the start? There in chapter 6, at verse 3, and then verse 5, it says he was full of the Spirit, such that when people watched him live, they noticed it. And what was his primary point in this message? As he sums up the entire Old Testament and then challenges us with the warning, it was this, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You flip that message, and what is it? Never resist the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then you get to his final moment. He's on his deathbed, and how does the Luke describe him? He is full of the Spirit, and with that, he gets a glimpse of glory, the Lord, and he finishes well. Um, rather than finishing with hate, he finishes with love. Here's the truth, guys. At conversion, we know throughout Scripture, we are given this precious gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit, and it's not like we need any more of him. We receive all of him that we will ever need. The question is, does he have all of you, all of me? What does it mean to be full of the Spirit? It means that we are living, relying fully on him, treasuring his presence, fully awake to the reality that the living God is indwelling me, and then fully yielded to his step-by-step -step lead. How does he lead us? Through his word, primarily. So we're looking to his word, and we're saying, okay, where do you want me to go? And any time our will conflicts with his will, we're going his will, spirit-led. It means that we're also sensitive to his nudges. 
He, when we go and we go our own way and we sin, he grieves our spirit. That's his gift. And so we confess our sin in that moment and we keep our accounts short and clean. And then when we go out to be a blessing to those around us and, and to be a faithful witness, he's the one that's guiding our steps and our conversations. And, and so it's like, all right, Lord, <laughs> I'm it. Spirit-led, start to finish. Stephen could have been like, oh, man, I'm going to die in this moment. No, Stephen, this is, how did he keep going? Highs, lows. Stephen, you know, he gets picked to be one of the core leaders of the church. And then moments later, he's on his deathbed. He could have been like, oh, nope. He's like, resilient. Why? Why? It's right there. He was full of the Holy Spirit. So, guys, what's your passion today? What's your passion? We all have different passions. Bev, passion for butterflies. The uh, Larry, passion for basketball. Pick your, what's your passion? And, and these are good. We, we enjoy these things. Passion for success at work. Passion for, you know, family. Passion for this, that, the other. But what if our passion today was to live our lives spirit-led start to finish? And we, we aren't perfect in that, but just say, Lord, as best I can, would you help me step by step to just be spirit-led, living awake to this treasure that I have you inside me, and then um, I'm relying on you and following you as you lead. So a moment where this phrase came from, I'll share with you, and it was that, it was, uh, have you noticed in your life often it's, you could say it's the best of times and the worst of times simultaneously? Often we have great moments going and tough moments going, and we were in one of those. We had been called to a, a new church family, which we were so excited about, best of times, but we had to leave this dear church family that we loved, and it was ripping my heart out because I hadn't told them yet, and I was having to get up and preach while we knew we were going to another church family, and, and I'm dying inside, and it was after one of those services, I'm standing at the door saying, um, Goodbye to the folks that are, were leaving. And a lady who is like a mother in the Lord walked up to me, and she just pulled me close and whispered this in my ear. And, and I had not told the church. No one knew this. She whispered this, spirit-led, start to finish. <laughs> and that was from God. I, I just, it's like, okay. How am I going to get through this time of high and low, spirit-led, start to finish? And I whisper that to you today. Whatever you're going through in your life, whether you're in a high or you're in a low, guys, we have the Spirit of God to empower us through it, don't we? And as we put our hope in Him and we rely on Him and we surrender fully to Him, all of me, all for you, we will mount up with wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint for the glory of God and the good of the people that He put around us. Amen? I'm sure we could have a testimony time of you sharing ways that he's done that even this past week as you follow him so this uh this week I was or yesterday as I was cranking out the workout on the elliptical I was checking my Feedly uh list of articles and on Friday Harvard Business Review came up with an article that said companies post-COVID are looking to resilience as not just an operational method but a strategic a uh, a uh, way to advance and strategy. 
And so, interesting, and so I read this article, and guess what they said, what they discovered, these brilliant minds discovered that one of the keys to success in business is um, a capacity to endure changing circumstances, recover quickly, and then seize that changing circumstance as an opportunity rather than a problem. Companies who do that will thrive. And guess what I thought of? (laughs) I love his church been happening 2,000 years, and we're here today. You say, well, how, how, how does this happen? It's God. It's given us a new perspective to see life. It's the highs and lows. We, we don't need to be whiplashed. Stay resilient. It's given us a new expectation. We're in battleground, so keep the legs churning. Keep going. Hits are going to come. Keep going. And then a new passion, and this is everything, is to follow the leading of His Spirit given it to us to keep in step and if we will do that we will accomplish what he's called us to and I don't you love the way this text ends and I wish we could spend more time here but I think it's a great way to end our service whereas Stephen comes to the end of his life he has God gives him a little glimpse of glory I picture this you know on a cloudy day when the sun breaks through and you get the sunbeam coming down our dog Riley, um, in the winter when a sunbeam will come through the, and land on the kitchen floor, she'll, you know, get up from her bed and just take a nap in the sun. And I picture that's a place for us to live, you know. And Stephen, the world's dark and stones are coming at him. The world's against him. But God gives him a sunbeam. And it's a picture of the risen Lord. I think it's a sunbeam we can go back to and just rest in and fix our eyes on. And what's interesting about this picture, though, is anytime Jesus is spoken of as being at the Father's right hand, what is he doing? Except for this moment, he's sitting. But in this moment, as a faithful servant, is staying on track, faithful to the finish, what does Jesus do? He gets up and he stands. When the King of heaven, the Lord of lords, the Lion of Judah, the creator of all that is, Gets up off his seat. What's heaven do? Uh Uh-oh. I think heaven goes quiet. Because when he says the Son of Man, he's referring to Daniel chapter 7, 13, which is picturing the Son of Man coming in his glory, but coming to to redeem his own, but judge those who are against him. And I can't help but think the reason Stephen prays don't hold this against them, is because when he sees heaven stand, he knows the one to be afraid is not me. It's for them. And I love that prayer, the prayer of Christ. Don't hold this against them. Our Lord gets up off his feet. There's a young man, Saul, who's collecting the coats of those who are throwing stones. And I love what Augustine said, the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. (laughs) Who was Stephen praying for, this young man? who would become passionate about persecuting the church. But where did Jesus go? A chapter later, in in chapter 9, he met Paul on the road to Damascus and knocked him off his horse, took his sight for a couple days. But then he turned him around and said, all right, now you're going to go serve the church. I love this picture. uh, It reminds us, may we be about our mission. There is a day coming. When our Lord is coming for us, those of us who know Him, and it's the day we pray for and long for, but also 
That day will be a judgment day for those who don't know him. So may we be faithful to take this precious message of the gospel and share it with those around us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us today from the life of Stephen and just to uh, the precious truth that you are at work in the highs and the lows, to know that the hits are coming, but you are faithful and you've given us everything that we need through your indwelling spirit to navigate our ever-changing circumstances. And as I look out and see my brothers and sisters, I just know that we are... uh, we're all over the, the map in terms of, I know some here are going through good times, but some really hard times. And Lord, I pray your grace. I pray that you would just put your resilience in our hearts today. Help us to keep on for you. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.